thank you for inviting me and I just want to share as much um, of what the Lord's been sharing me sharing with me recently and I honestly believe we need to be getting ready for a revival uh, next year and uh, we're just about 60 days from the new year 60 days in the bed we really need to be ready for what God's fixing to do so what I want to share with you today is teaching I believe that will help prepare ourselves for revival I want to be sharing on temples of the living God let me just quickly mention uh, we're on the Christian TV on Revelation TV at 8.30 on Wednesdays and uh, Tuesday morning at uh, 10 and also on the God Channel on Friday mornings at 9.30 and uh, I'll be on the, late, on the Q&A show of Revelation this Thursday um, but um, in particular my latest book The Imminent Invasion of Israel um, I've rewritten it because so much has happened since I originally wrote it and this is relevant as well because I believe that this uh, prophesied invasion in Ezekiel 38 is going to happen soon it could happen any time all the line all the nations are lining up for it and uh, we have the main players already there in Syria on the borders of Israel the reason why it's important we're ready for this is that God talks about a revival being triggered by this invasion. Because God, because when that invasion happens, God intervenes. And God shows himself strong and he says he does it that his name may be exalted among the nations. Amen. And glorified among the nations. And what's going to happen as a result of what's going to be an obvious divine intervention is that that there will be a window of opportunity for revival because people will realize that the God of the Bible is still alive and well. And this will be our great chance to share the gospel. So uh, I've, 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 I've written about this uh, as one of the books that I've got on the table if you're interested in books. As for me, I collect books too. I'm a member of Amazon Anonymous because I, I, I buy too many books. But anyway... To me, the book, the book form is the best form you can access information from. And um, so do check out the books. Praise God. But I want to share about, and I'm going to have to hit this at a high level. Uh, I don't have time to, to kind of um, give you every supporting scripture on this. But I want you, if you know this, the Bible... You'll, you'll recognize many things. And um, I want to kind of give you an overview of the subject. And so uh, you'll, it will hopefully open doors of your understanding that will enable you to do further research in this area. But one of the deepest um, subjects in the Bible uh, is the concept that God's purpose for man ultimately is that we should be temples of the living God. And a temple has two parts to it. There's the, there's the building, and there's the God who inhabits the building. So we were actually designed and made to be inhabited by God, and for God's light and God's glory to shine out from us. And uh, when man sinned, what happened is he cut himself off from the power source. He became Ichabod. The glory departed. And we have to learn again now to become functioning, glorious temples of God. And as the church rises up to this, the church is equipped to not only 
be in revival, but to sustain the revival. Because the main issue will be when revival comes is not just that we enjoy it for a season, but it's only as God has revivalists and intercessors and such people who are laying down their lives and being temples of, of God that that revival will be sustained and the presence of God will be released and many will be saved as a result. And this concept of the temple of God is one of those, there are certain concepts that are right there from that God introduced right at the start of the Bible and is right there at the end of the Bible. Blood covenant is one example. But another example, as I want to show you, is the temple. Uh, and the concept of the temple, because from the beginning God is using temples, and it's such a deep concept that even in heathen societies, they have their temples. Because that's a concept that God taught man right at the beginning. So there's a even in the other temples of other religions, there, there is the kernel of a divine revelation that God revealed to man at the beginning. And if, what I want to do is explain that there are three levels of temple. Um, first of all, there are the earthly temples, which I'll take you through very quickly. The earthly temples are built on the blueprint of the heavenly temple. Okay? And even the heavenly temple, which is there in heaven, the New Jerusalem, is not the ultimate temple. The ultimate temple is the eternal temple of God, which is man. You are actually built as a temple. That's why you're in three parts, by the way, spirit, soul, and body. All temples are in three parts. You, your blueprint of how you are and how you're meant to operate and how you're meant to shine the glory of God is, is, is all in these temples. And man is the ultimate temple. And we need to learn how to be temples of the living God. And what we find is that in the heavenly temple, and then we're taught, it says in Hebrews that the earthly temples, that, well, for instance, the tabernacle was built according to the pattern that God revealed Moses concerning the heavenly temple. And when we look at all the different temples revealed in the Bible, we find they all give different details. They're all consistent with each other. None of them give all the details. You have to um, combine all the details of all the different temples to get the full picture of what we are meant to be as the temple of the living God. Okay, And so that's what I want to do uh, for you a little bit today. As I say, it's a big subject, so I just want to open doors of your understanding that you are the ultimate temple of the living God. But we can learn through, God uses the teaching tools of all the different temples to teach us how we're meant to be and how we're meant to operate and how God wants to manifest his glory through you. Let me first of all just establish that man is the ultimate temple of God. Um, and that is, in, if we go to the eternal state, in Revelation 21-22, it says, I saw no temple in it, in the New Jerusalem, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I always wondered about what's going on here. And notice there's two parts, there is a temple, but the temple isn't some building. The ultimate temple 
is described as the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Well, the Lord God Almighty, of course, he's the one who inhabits the temple. The presence of God inhabits the temple. The temple is described as the Lamb. Now, that's very significant. The Lamb, of course, we know is Christ. The emphasis of the Lamb is his humanity, isn't it? It was as a man Jesus died. And as a lamb, his body was broken open and his blood was shed so that we, but through believing, might be put into Christ. And now you are in Christ, you are in the lamb. You are in that verse. The lamb is the temple. The lamb is Christ and his body. We are named after Christ. We are there. We together form the temple of God in eternity. And the Lord God Almighty lives inside his temple. And so the picture of the eternal temple of God is mankind, all mankind who are in Christ, in the Lamb, to indwell by, uh, by God himself. And that's God's ultimate temple. That's God's ultimate purpose for you, is that you be a temple of the living God. And the Jerusalem temple, by the way, was called the light of the world, because the light of God was to shine out from the temple. And it, Jesus was walking in the temple in John 8 when he said, I am the light of the world. I am the ultimate temple. When Jesus came, he was the first man because of sin. He was the first man who was a functioning temple of God. Do you remember he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise, raise you up, raise it up. And they thought he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem but he was talking about himself because he was the main temple of God now. Because he's the, as the man is the ultimate temple of God. He was the prototype temple. And then through his death and resurrection, he multiplied himself. And now you are temples, living temples of the living God. Praise God. And together we form one great corporate temple. But talking about the temple was the light of God because the radiance of God is to shine out of his temple. And in Revelation 21, 23, it says, The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Remember who we said the Lamb was? Christ and all those who are in Christ. The eternal light, the eternal city is not lit up by the sun or moon. It's lit up by the glory of God shining, not just out of Christ, but shining out of all his people. And that's why it says in a nearby verse that all the kings of the nations, that's you and I, we are kings and priests in Christ, bring their glory into the city. So the glory that you will radiate with in your resurrection bodies is part of the light source that will light up the city. And you are, as the temple of God, will be the light of that city. Praise God. And so man is the ultimate temple and that is why you are, and of course you know the scriptures about that we are the temple of the living God, purchased by the blood of the Lamb. But uh, the interesting thing is that you are spirit, soul, and body. That's how temples are made. The basic plan of a temple is always threefold. And of course you know the Holy of Holies represents the spirit. That's where God's spirit dwells. But he doesn't want to stay in the Holy of Holies. He wants to flow out through. So in the Holy of Holies, the only light source is the glory of God. And that's when man rejected God, sin came in, 
darkness came into his spirit. But when you're born again, praise God, the light gets switched back on. You are now light in the Lord. That's the spirit. The glory of God's in your spirit. And then your soul is the holy place. The highest level of holiness is the holy of holies, your spirit. Your soul is the holy place. And that was lit up by the menorah, the light of the menorah. It corresponds to your soul, which is your mind and your emotions and your will. That is, and those three things are, relate to the three items in the holy place. The menorah, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. We'll, we'll hopefully cover a little bit of that. And then the outer court, of course, where the altar, uh, the altar of burnt offering was, is corresponds to the body. And the outer court is lit up by the light of the sun, the natural light that we were talking about. And so you have a natural vision through your natural eyes from your outer court senses, but you also have the light of the Holy Spirit, of, of the menorah's illumination in your mind, which is through the olive oil of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you function on three levels. That's why. You, you are a little bit complicated. You live on three dimensions. We need to understand, and it's my passion to understand how I'm meant to work and why I go wrong sometimes. Because I'm not, I've got to learn how, I'm, how God designed me to be as a temple of the living God. Let me quickly summarize the temples to you. The, um, we've talked about the eternal temple, the ultimate temple. All the other temples, in a way, are, are teaching, certainly the earthly temples, are teaching tools to teach us about who we are ultimately meant to be. The, the heavenly temple, as, as it is right now, we know a bit about. Um, uh, let, me, uh, let me quickly des describe it to you. If you know about the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, it's got a four square pattern. I want you to remember that number four. There's a four square pattern. Now some people think, and it's as high as it is wide. Now when you think, I think it's a over a thousand, I can't remember, it would fit just inside the moon. So planes fly at about five miles high. This city is over a thousand miles high. I can't remember the exact number. Probably about 1,600 miles or something like that. Just imagine how tall the city is. Now. Uh, it's huge, but I believe it's 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 four-sided. Well, it is four-sided, and what we're told is, and, and I'm clear, and that it has to be like a mountain because it talks about the temple. We have come to Mount Zion. Now, a mountain goes up to a peak. In other words, it's shaped like a pyramid. Some people don't like that, but the point is that it's got. That is why, by the way. Well, I'll get ahead of that, but that's the original reason why you get all these ziggurats. All right, the temples of all the societies are based or copies or counterfeits of the original temple, which is designed to go to a peak. At the peak, as it's described, is the throne of God, the glory of God at the throne. And remember the river of life in Revelation 22, 1, the river of life, this is the heavenly temple, right? This is one of the key descriptions of how a temple is meant to be. The throne of God at the peak, 
The river of life flows, it says, from the throne of God and the Lamb. And the river of life flows downhill, water flows downhill, to the lower level. So the highest level, that corresponds to the Holy of Holies, to the Spirit. That is where the throne is. In the same way, in your spirit, that's where God's throne is, by the way. If you're born again, God is sitting on his throne in your spirit. Amen. And that is, the, that is the highest level of holiness in you, is in your spirit. Because that's where you're directed, directly connected to God. And his glory dwells in your spirit. Hallelujah, if you're born again. And, so, and then the river of life flows from that throne. And the, there's a river that's meant to flow out from your spirit, through your soul, th in, th into, your, into the world. That's the picture here. Temple, the glory is there, but it's not meant to be shut up in the spirit. It's meant to be released as a river of life. That's one of the scriptures. That river, river divides into four rivers. How do we know that? Because we're told that the river follows the street, the street of gold. And the street divides into four. As it comes down, at some point, the river divides into four because it goes out through the four main gates on the east, west, north, and south sides. If you, if you read it, you'll see that the street goes out through the gate, and therefore the river goes out through the gate. So that river divides into four. We're going to see that again in a minute. So you have a, something like a mountain, enormously high mountain. The river flowing from the top of the mountain uh, this river of life, and wherever the river flows, there is life, there's fruitfulness. And it, and it splits into four directions out of the four sides of the city. All right? That's the kind of heavenly temple there. Now, the, if we look at the earthly temples, this might be in interesting for you, that you, you might immediately start thinking about the tabernacle. Let me take you quickly through the earthly temples. The first one. And the one that you may not be aware of is that the Garden of Eden was the original earthly temple. We're going to go back to that. Then, after that, of course, we know about the tabernacle in the wilderness. We'll talk about that. And then the Temple of Solomon, which was the first temple. And then Israel got, that got destroyed because of Israel's sin. And then when they came back into the land, through Ezra and uh, you know that time there was the second temple was built and then that second temple was later beautified by King Herod uh, but it's still called the second temple even though it was beautified and so when Jesus came on the scene he he was still there ministering at the second temple uh, and then um, of course there is now the temple of the body of Christ in other words, God's ultimate temple come alive at the resurrection of Christ. There is still two more future temples, earthly temples, uh, which surprises many Christians, but that's what the Bible says. There'll be the th a third temple, actually coming up quite soon, in the tribulation, called the tribulation temple. Some people call it the antichrist temple, but the Bible calls it the temple of God. So a divinely ordained temple and God will use that as an outreach to Israel in the tribulation. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist desecrates it, puts up his abomination in the temple. But Jesus said it's in the holy place. In other words, it's a genuine temple of God. But in that war 
In the tribulation, the Antichrist desecrates that temple and God sends judgments as a result. But it was never meant to be a long-lasting temple. It was meant, it's meant to be the, the place where the two witnesses preach the gospel. So as the sacrifices are being made there, the two witnesses are preaching Jesus. Two witnesses, I believe, are Moses and Elijah, and they, they were witnesses because they were there during the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember the transfiguration? Yeah. They stuck around, and then at the ascension, it says there were two men who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Two men, Moses and Elijah. They witnessed the ministry of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and they will be preaching in the end times. They both had unusual deaths, as it were, and God will, is keeping their bodies in heavenly storage, ready to be raised up again to be those two witnesses. And so that's the a special temple called the third temple. And then there'll be a fourth temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48, describes the, the temple during the thousand year reign of Christ. And that gives us some important information about temples too, because it will be the most glorious of all the earthly temples thus far, as Ezekiel describes it. And again, it describes a river flowing out of that temple. The other temples, so anyway, and then, of course, all of these are just pictures where we're to learn everything from, okay? So, let's start with the Garden of Eden, because that is a fascinating thing to me. Um, as you begin to, to look at the garden, the design of the Garden of Eden, um, it begins to, you begin to see all the features of a temple. And um, let, let's go to, let me see if I can find the scripture here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And I started putting, I'm, I'm, st I'm still waiting on someone to draw a picture of the Eden for me. But um, we can do a bit of logic on the passage and we can describe what Eden looked like. Eden at the center of the earth. It says, Genesis 2.8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So there's a difference between the Garden of Eden and Eden. Eden was like a whole nation or whatever, a whole area of the earth. But on the east side of Eden, there was this beautiful garden. Now, let me describe it to you, and again, I'll let you work out some of the details. On what was on the west side of the garden? What was a mountain. We know that because of the water flow. There were, the, Eden was the source of all the water flow in the earth. Because what it says, as we read on, that four rivers flowed out of the Garden of Eden. Where did that water come from? It had to come from a higher place. And actually it was a mountain, the original holy mountain there, and a river of life. Now that mountain represents the spirit. And a river of life flowed down um, from that mountain. You, the same picture is in the land of Israel, by the way, Mount Hermon, and the Jordan River that flows down from that. But anyway, you've got this mountain. The water flowed down from that mountain into the Garden of Eden. Okay? Let's, let's have a read. And he put the, the man there whom he had formed. And uh, he, he made every tree grow in that garden. There were two special trees in that garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, the, the garden, by the way, the mountain is the spirit, 
But the garden represents your soul. You are a garden of the Lord, but you are responsible for what you let grow in your heart. You might have a wonderful born-again spirit, but if you let a lot of weeds grow in your garden, and, and because electricity wasn't invented in the time of the Bible, God didn't use electricity as an analogy. But he could have used electricity, just like he used the flow of water to picture the flow of life from above. Again, in the Bible, the higher, the more holy. And so the river flows from above. It flows downhill. That's why, basically, the, the one key, and if I leave you with one thought here, the measure of the life of God that flows out from you depends on your surrender to the Lord. Because water flows downhill. And if you're all lifted up, I'm going to do it my way. No water's going to flow through you. That was Adam's sin, wasn't it? He ate from the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil. He wanted the power himself to choose, to control, to define who he was and what he was going to do. He wanted to be independent from God. He wanted to be his own God. And by eating of that tree, as it were, that was like he switched, he switched the off switch on the power. And now the, it's a, the picture would be that that power didn't flow anymore into him. He's a, that was all pictured there. But the more you surrender to God, and the more you say, as we heard just now, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I love you so much. I'll do anything for you. I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. The more you do that, and, and the more you're willing to trust your hand into his hand, wherever he will lead you, the more you're willing to release your independence. The Lord showed me this. The more you're willing to give up your independence from God, the more you'll discover who you really are. The more the, the, that's the transformation, the metamorphosis, the real you will come out of your spirit. See, the reality of who you are is in your spirit. And the more you give up your independence, the more you'll discover your individuality. Because you're surrendering to love and God will make you come alive on the inside. That's why the more you are the bond slave of the Lord, the freer you will be because you will experience and be expressed the way who God made you to be. And so the river, as I said, flowed into the garden. And that basically the choosing the tree of life in the, in the heavenly Jerusalem, it says the tree of life is right parked on the river. So the tree of life in the Garden of Eden was right next to the river, and it was rooted in the river. And had he chosen the tree of life, he was saying, I choose to live by that river. I choose to surrender to God and receive my life from that river. And he would have received all the life of God. The sacrifice you have to make is your independence. You have to surrender to God and live by the life of God, rather than your own knowledge of good and evil. But he chose the other tree, he turned the switch of power off. Do you see that? And so the two tr the trees are in the garden. But I love this here. Now a river, verse 10, a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Uh, and it said, and for, do you notice the river came into the garden? Yeah. And then it, into this garden of Eden, and the river of life wants to come into your heart, into your soul. And there it parted and it became four rivers. So out of the Garden of Eden, 
And the Garden of Eden, therefore, was on higher ground than the rest of Eden. When um, Adam and Eve actually were cast out of the garden, they still dwelt in the land of Eden. Because it's interesting, it's only when Cain murdered his brother that he, he went into the land of Nod. He actually had to even leave the land of Eden. So the land of Eden had, had three, le three levels to it. The mountain in the far west, then the Garden of Eden, which I kind of see as a plateau area, maybe halfway down from the peak. And then the river would have flowed out of Eden, those four river rivers, to, to the rest of the earth, which was therefore on a lower level, watering Eden and then the rest of the earth. And that's how God designed you to be, as a temple. In your heart is all kinds of trees, fruitfulness, bearing trees, and the fruit of love, joy, peace, and all the rest. And that you will be fruitful only as you allow that river to flow into your garden and then flow out of your garden. Those are the four rivers. Now, we also saw those four rivers, remember, in the heavenly Jerusalem. That is the origin where man had, right from the beginning of time, before Moses, man understood the basic concept of temple. And that is why the origin, why temples are in every religion, you see. Now, praise God. Amen. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said, he who believes in me, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. And that God's design for you as a temple is not just that you're born again, but, and it's interesting when it says, out of your heart, the word is womb. It's not the usual word for heart. It should have been translated, out of your womb. Because you see, your spiritual womb, see, you men, you also have a womb, a spiritual womb. Your heart functions that way. Because in your intimacy with God, and the, and the main thing is to let that main river, let me explain the difference between holiness and righteousness. Okay? Holiness is related to that river that comes from the high place, that comes from the spirit realm. And that river depends, how much that river flows, depends on how thirsty you are for, for it, and it depends on how surrendered you are to God. As a living sacrifice, offering yourself to God, you are allowing that river to flow. The more dedicated and surrendered to God you are, the more that river can flow into you, you see? And, and that's the most important thing. The more you give up your independence, the more you renounce the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the more that river can flow into you. That is the river of holiness. Holiness is your connection with God. How much you are surrendered to God. And through that river comes into the garden, and I see it, that it must, there must have been some kind of lake in the garden. That's, I call that your spiritual tank. You receive, and that lake is in a way, your, your heart. You, that river flows into your heart. You receive that river into your heart. Okay? And that river contains everything you need for your life. The wisdom, the blessing, the anointing, it flows in. And your ministry really is determined by your time with God. 
Because it's in your time with God that you receive. You receive that there. Praise God. And we, we've got to let the Lord fill our tanks. First of all. And in our time, in our praise and worship to God and our surrender to God, He fills our tanks. And that river gives us everything we need. Now, that river flows out of us as four rivers. This is the second aspect. There are two aspects, essentially. You receive from God, and you release what you've received. Okay? You're receiving from God, that is the holiness, but that river becomes four rivers that flow out of you. Okay? That's righteousness. Righteousness is your life being expressed. That holy, holy life that you receive from God has to be expressed. That's righteousness. See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. That's holiness. Seek, seek the kingdom of God. Seek to be submitted to the king. Seek him as your king. Be surrendered to him. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that river to come. Be hungry and thirsty for that river to come because it's that river that will supply what you need in your life out there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to come into you and, and the rest will take care of itself practically. All right? All these other things will be added to you. The main thing is to get that river flowing. To, re to renounce your own ability. To renounce your own self-sufficiency. And to surrender to that river that is flowing from the Spirit. All right? And those flow out as four rivers. Now, can we identify those four rivers? If we go to the later temples, it's interesting. For instance, well, let's start with the tabernacle in the wilderness. God was in the midst in that tabernacle, wasn't he? Uh, but it had four sides. The tribes were camped on four sides around the temple. And this is all part of the picture. And all the tribes had tribal standards. And... There was Judah on one side, and the tribal standard for Judah was a lion. And so if you're looking at the temple from this angle, the, its outward expression, which is a reflection of the inward life, was a lion. Authority, dominion, mastery. If you looked at another side, you would see the sign of Reuben, which was a man pouring out water. It was a man, the face of a man. If you looked on the other side, I think Ephraim was the main tribe on the other side, you would see an ox, the tribal standard of an ox. And if you looked on the side of Dan, you would see an eagle. Now, I don't know if that's ringing any bells for you, but again, you have the fourfold expression of what's flowing out from the temple in its midst. If you go into the temple in heaven, what do you discover? you discover the four-faced cherubim of exactly those same four features. The lion, one, the cherubim, in one direction was a, looked like it had four faces. One was a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a man. Very weird. But this is a picture of the life of God that's flowing out from the Holy of Holies. And it's ultimately a picture of you 
as a temple of the living God. You see, you, you have four faces. Now, for instance, Jesus, that's why there are four Gospels. Because it showed the four faces of Jesus. You see, Mark shows Jesus as the servant of God, the ox. The man of action. The man who got the job done. The man who rolled up his sleeves and got the job done. He was the man that the Romans admired. And then Luke shows Jesus as the, as the man, the perfect man that was um, the Greeks admired. And then Matthew shows him as the lion, the lion of Judah, the king who'd come with, to set up his kingdom. And then John, of course, shows him as the eagle. So what do these represent? So Jesus is the perfect man, the perfect temple of God. And for us, we also have our soul functions in four flows, which are animated by the four rivers, four faces, if you like. See, sometimes, and these work in combination, but, but there is an anointing, for instance, for you to be a servant of God, to be the ox. Part of the river that God supplies is power. Power to get the job done. Power to accomplish the task that's before you. You need God's anointing in that. And that river will supply that power that you need to get the job done. So sometimes we're an ox and the, our focus is on the task. And there's an anointing to fulfill that task. We can't be an ox all day. That's what happened trouble with some men who are, you know, workaholics. They don't know how to be a man. You see, and there's another anointing to be a man, and that the face of the man is, is again, the focus is on people, not the task, but people. You've got to learn how to love. This is so the ox is the spirit of power, that's one river, is the spirit of power flowing out of you. The other one is the spirit of love, and that corresponds to the face of a man. You've got to know how to love, and the other one is the face of an eagle, and that's the face that's focused on truth. The eagle is the one who soars up high and can see, have revelation knowledge. And that's the other thing that we, you were talking about there. Is that the more we surrender to God, uh, that river coming into our mind, into our heart, renews our mind, and we can see as God sees. We can, we're not at ground level anymore, but we rise up like an eagle and we see from above. And we see the whole picture. We see as God sees, you see. And so if we let that river flow into us, we'll begin to see what we couldn't see before. Praise God. And that's the, that's the eagle. And then, of course, the other one always is the lion. Praise God. And there are times that river will also give you dominion in life. It will enable you by the grace of God that you can reign as kings in life. It will give you that anointing to be more than a conqueror in your circumstances. To rule and reign. Hallelujah. Over the powers of darkness. See, that's in the river too. So do you see those four rivers? Four cherubim. That's the picture. That's why it's four even in the New Jerusalem. It's a four-sided object because God is teaching through picture language how you are to be. And the more you surrender, as I say, to the river coming from the Spirit, the stronger those four rivers will flow. 
There are two. There are two stages. You have to learn first of all holiness, which is your surrender to the river that flows from the Spirit. That is that is the attitude. Is Lord, not my will, your will be done. I surrender to you, Lord. Wherever the river takes me, your will be done. Unconditional surrender. We have to lay down our own thoughts about what, what we think our ministry should be or what we think we should do. There has to be that unconditional surrender to God in our heart to qualify for that river really to flow into us. And as that river flows into us, in that river is all that we need. The revelation we need, the direction we need and so on. But it says in Philippians, doesn't it? It says, work out your own salvation, Philippians 2, 12 or uh, something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Notice two things. Number one, to will. So the first thing God has to do is give you a willing heart. That's the, that's the river coming into your heart, into your garden. You've got to have a willing heart. That's what allows that river to come in. That surrendered heart. God works in your heart to will. And as he flows into you, he will reveal to you what he wants from you. And you have to be willing. You have to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. As he reveals his will to you, you say yes. And then that river can flow into you and fill you. And now you have the power in you. You have the grace in you. And then the second thing is to will and to do. Now you have the anointing in you. Now you have to walk, work it out. That is you now releasing those rivers. But again, you have to do it in obedience to God. You see, you might, in your prayer in the morning, you might receive, you will receive the anointing and, and the, the wisdom you need for the day. It won't necessarily be released at that moment because it's only when you're a few hours later in the day, for example, that the situation arises and you will find your tank is not empty because immediately the grace is there. So you know what to do. See what I mean? The anointing is there for you in that situation. But what you receive for your ministry, you might receive... But it may not be for months or a year until it's time for you to take action. See what I mean? You, you have to walk it out in obedience to God. He takes you by the hand. And he will take you step by step into your future. So there's, there's two attitudes in a way. First of all, you have to have that submitted heart that receives the river into, into your lake, if you like. And then whenever he gives you instruction how to release that river then you as you obey that river is released do you see how it works he works in you to will and to do so it's submission and obedience but if you try and do 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 without having submitted first you're just operating out of an empty tank oh well pastor so-and-so does this so i think i'll try that and so you're doing what's called dead works. You're just doing it because you've seen other people do it. And it's just dead works. 
you have to get with God. You have to receive that anointing that God has for you because we're all different. It's pointless comparing ourselves. We're all different. We've got all different assignments and anointings. And so we have to receive what God has for us. Let him fill our tank. Let me tell you, you won't, a lot of it you won't know is there until it's time. And then God says, take this action. Send that email. Do this action. It might be small stuff. And as you do it, there's a release. There's a release of power. And as you do that, God leads you into your promised land. And that, that's one of the, really the, a big thing I wanted to share with you. Let me quickly talk, you, talk to you about the, the, temp, the most detail we get of the temples is, of course, the tabernacle and the temple. In the Holy of Holies, that is where the power is, all right, is the Ark of the Covenant. Hebrews talks about this. The Ark of the Covenant, that's the throne of God. God's glory dwelt on the Ark, and God spoke from above the Ark. The Ark was designed as a throne, as a seat. The two angels are like wings, were, were like the two sides of the throne, and God, as it were, sat on his throne. And so, if you want the, the, you've got to see, for instance, when Jesus rose from the dead, we, we're told that he went into the heavenly holy of holies with his blood and sat down on the throne in the heavenly holies of holies, right? But that is not the ultimate. Remember, even that, the heavenly temple, is a picture of the eternal temple. So what happened when you received Christ as your Lord? You surrendered to him as Lord. Jesus came into your spirit, your holy of holies. And with the blood of Jesus was applied in your spirit. Your spirit was cleansed from all sin. And Jesus sat down on the throne of your spirit. And he wants his river to flow from his throne. But because he is the king on your throne, it's only as you submit to him can that river flow. You see that? So one interesting thing is that there were three items under the throne. They all have a symbolic meaning. One item was the, the Ten Commandments. Written by the finger of God. Yeah? And that was in the Spirit. And in the same way, the law of God, which ultimately boils down to love, the law of God is imprinted in your spirit. I believe our spirit, our reborn spirits are perfect. The law of God is printed in our spirits. As you let the river flow, what actually happens is, he says, I'll give you a new spirit and I'll change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Now your, the spirit happens instantaneously, but your heart is a stage of transformation. It's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. The changing of your heart of stone into flesh happens as the spirit comes upon your heart. And the more you let that river flow into your heart, then the law of God that's in the spirit starts to be imprinted in your heart. As you receive the word and the spirit, praise God, your heart becomes transformed. Your mind becomes renewed. 
have you become that person on the inside? And he said, that's the transformation. It's that flow of the river inside you, changing your heart, God's law imprinted in your heart. Then he says that you may demonstrate what is the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. Now, when you act out from, you filled your tank, now you act out from that, the rivers are released, and you can demonstrate the glory of God in your life, in obedience to God as he directs you. And so, praise God. I forgot what I was, oh yes. So that's the first thing, the law of God in your spirit. The second thing is the Aaron's rod that budded. Now this is a picture of resurrection life and ministry. This is your ministry, is in your spirit. Remember that story of Aaron? They challenged, is he the real minister of God? Is he, is he the, uh, the true high priest? Why can't someone else be the high priest? And the proof of it was that his tribal staff this almond rod was put in the Holy of Holies, along with the staffs of all the other people who were claiming to be true ministers. And it was left overnight, and only Aaron's rod but, but supernaturally budded. And the truth and the reality of, of a ministry is, is in the power, in the anointing, in that resurrection life. And, and God was saying, Aaron, he is my choice. He is my anointing. And we all have a ministry, a supernatural ministry of God, a gift of God. Yes. And that's represented by that Aaron's rod that budded. And that was placed under the throne. And in the same way, your ministry is in your spirit. Amen. And if you want your ministry to come forth, ultimately it comes forth out of your intimacy with God as you surrender to God as you receive into your spiritual womb the supply from the Holy of Holies, from the throne room, you receive God's revelation for your ministry and what you're meant to do. You receive that in your spiritual womb and then it will flow out as rivers of, of waters. Praise God. So that's the other thing in your spirit is your ministry, your gift. But it will only start to function to the, to the degree that you surrender to that river. Amen? The third one is the manna. There was a pot of manna that was put in there. And that's a symbol of God's provision for your life. God's promised land for your life. What, what God has for you. And in Revelation, he says to the overcomer, I will give you, of make you to eat of the hidden manna. So part of the, the hidden manna is the manna that's hidden in the Holy of Holies. It's hidden in the presence of God. God's provision for you. It, Colossians 3, he says, Seek Christ who is above. It says, For your life is hidden with Christ in God. So your true life is in Christ in God. Now it's not hidden so that you'll never know about it. But it's hidden because it's in the spirit realm. It's not manifest fully yet. But it's hidden. But then it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. There's a day coming when everything that's hidden will be revealed. Amen. But it, during this life, it's not meant to stay hidden. We're, it's meant to, Christ is our life. Christ is that river of life, you see, that flows through his Holy Spirit from his throne. And so that which is hidden in our spirit, God's provision for our life, 
as represented by that heavenly manna, God wants you to eat of it. God wants that to be released. And it will be released because Christ is our life. When Christ our life fully appears, the full glory will be manifested. But the more you let Christ's life now flow into your heart, you see, through your surrender, then that hidden manner, that provision of God for your life, whatever it might be, will flow. Christ is our life. That, that will flow into your heart and you'll be able to receive it. Praise God. And, and operate in the reality of it. Hallelujah. So those three things, that's the powerhouse. Now, I'm about to wrap up, so don't worry. The, um, I should say this. That as the power comes out of the holy place, holy of holies, it comes into the holy place. There are three things. I can't cover the whole subject, I'm afraid. But there are three things in the holy place. One of them is the menorah. Um, and that is represents your mind. That's the place of illumination you were talking about. These, the, it talks about the seven eyes of the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God before the throne and the menorah has seven lamps lit by the olive oil which is, re represents the Holy Spirit and it represents when your menorah is lit up that is your mind is flooded with the illumination of the Holy Spirit Jesus' mind was lit up it says in Isaiah 11 the spirit of, of the Lord was upon him the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and you know there were seven of them he was fully lit up in his soul because he received that river coming in will give you that understanding and that wisdom. He will light up your menorah, basically. The second thing is the table of showbread, and that was a, a, 12 loaves of bread. Were, were, it's, it's really, showbread really means the bread of the presence. That bread was put before the presence of God. And a supernatural thing happened every week. It was put out on the Sabbath, and that bread was kept fresh for seven days until they replaced it the next Sabbath. It was kept fresh because it was kept in the presence of God. I believe that's our emotions. If you keep your emotions in the presence of God, he will keep your emotions fresh under the presence of God. I can't develop that, but anyway. And then the final item I just want to mention was really the, the on switch for this whole power to happen, was the altar. And there were two altars, but those two altars are one. I've come to see that those two altars are one. In the outer court was the altar of the burnt offering. When we're talking about surrendering to God, that burnt offering, it says that the fire of the burnt offering should never be put out. There was a, the burnt offering is different from a sin offering. Jesus is our sin offering. Amen. But also he was our burnt offering, but he was, we are also burnt offerings. And as we dedicate ourselves to God, our God is a consuming fire. And whatever we dedicate to him, he consumes with his fire. He doesn't destroy us. But that is sanctification. He takes possession of us. And that is the burnt offering. And when that burnt offering was rising up to God as a sweet smelling savour, 
there was it was connected to the altar of incense. Now the altar of incense is, is your heart or your will. Right next to the Holy of Holies. It was right at the entry point of the Holy of Holies. And the idea is that the coal taken from the burnt offering, this is how it's connected, the coal which would have had the blood on it, was taken, this hot burning coal, of that surrender, that burnt offering surrender, was placed on the altar of incense, and then the incense was added, and then that beautiful smell would go into that Holy of Holies. Okay? And the whole picture is that the altar of incense is your surrendered heart to God, from which you are offering your prayers and your worship to God. And that worship is going into the heavenly Holy of Holies. And corresponding to that, you are also offering up your body as a living sacrifice, as a burnt offering. And as you, the idea was that this was a continual thing in the temple. The fire would never go out. And there was this constant attitude of surrendering to God. Not just our, our body, but we're surrendering our heart to God. And while that was happening, the power is released. That, that was the, the on switch for the temple. If the burnt offering stopped, and, and this, I know I'm finishing at five, is that correct? So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up for five. It's interesting that what makes a temple is the altar of burnt offering. You might think it's the Holy of Holies, but when a temple is built, the first thing is the altar of burnt offering. That's what happened in the story of David and the angel. God established the altar first. Once the altar's established, you actually have a kind of temple. Okay, the altar of burnt offering is the heart of the temple. Without that altar and without that sacrifice on the altar, it's nothing is happening. Do you see that? Nothing is happening. You don't have a temple. You might have a beautiful building, but with the, without the altar of burnt offering and the offerings, there is nothing happening. And that's what God was teaching. You'll see that whenever a temple is built, is the altar is built first. That happened under Zerubbabel as well. So, you, your altar, your surrender to God, and again, not your own righteousness, the incense actually represents the righteousness of Christ. Your, your prayers are the sweet-smelling perfections of Christ is what makes your prayers acceptable to God. But they come from that altar, from that surrendered heart, that surrendered body. As you offer that up to God, then the life of God flows out of the Holy of Holies, lighting up your menorah, refreshing your emotions. And that river of life starts filling your tank. And out of that now, you'll have an abundant supply. And when you're in your life situations, the, the relevant river can flow. When you need to really move in love, that river of love, that face of a man will flow. When you really need to focus on that task and get that job done, there's that river of power. It's there for you. And when you, you know, need wisdom, you need to search God and you need to understand something and, and you that river will carry you up like an eagle. Praise God. And there's one more I can't remember. Oh yes, and a lion. When you need that mastery, 
over the thing. They will be there for you in the river. <coughs> Praise God. But so often we're operating out of an empty tank because we've been eating from the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. We, we are, we've let our independent soul life be in control and we're doing it in our own strength. We haven't learnt to live out of that river. And so we're struggling. Everything we do is a struggle. We were never meant to live that way. We were meant to live out of that river of, of life. Amen. You are a temple of the living God. Amen. And I, I, I share this because I honestly believe we have got to move up spiritually. If we are going to function in this revival, and if we are going to be a, a positive thing in this revival, then as we are operating as temples, we're going to be releasing the Holy Spirit in the revival. And it's people like you that will cause that revival to grow and be sustained. Because it's not the onlook, onlookers or even those who enjoy it, just enjoy it, but they're not generating the revival. The real rewards are for those who are temples of the living God. They are releasing the rivers of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Through their intercessions and through their obedience, they are bringing the rivers of God. And as we all join together as a corporate temple, how much greater the flow of that river will be. Amen? Amen. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord, I just pray for this revelation that it will be life-changing for them, that they will seek you more and more and surrender to you more and more and allow that river to flow mightily in their lives. Lord, fill them to abundance. You said abundant life, Lord. Let the rivers of life flow out of them. Lord, release their gifts, release their ministries into a higher degree. In the name of Jesus, release that spirit of wisdom and power and authority and dominion. Hallelujah and love. Thank you, Lord, for your rivers. They're abundant. Lord, help us just to trust in you. Surrender to your river. And we'll really enjoy our life then. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hope you have been blessed and